Let me tell you about a man called Obi. He was put in prison for sharing his faith. He'd been calling people to believe in Jesus and be baptized. And for that, he was sentenced to be tied to a post and flogged. 30 lashes with a three-corded whip. He spent weeks alone, silent in his cell, struggling to come to terms with his situation. But on the day of his punishment, an unusual calm came over him and he refused to be silent any longer. He told his captors that his affliction would bring him even closer fellowship with his Lord. I am not ashamed of his sufferings, he said, for by his stripes I am healed. And so they tied him to a post. The guard spat on his hand, took hold of the whip, and flailed him with all his might. Obi said he felt God's presence like no other time in his life. The pain of the scourging just melted away. And when they untied him, Obi stood up and with joyfulness in his heart, he said to the magistrates, you have struck me with roses. Where do you think that took place? China, Nigeria, Russia? No, it was Boston. Boston in 1651. And Obadiah Holmes was a Baptist. The Puritans had banned Baptists from their colony. Quakers got it even worse. Three of them were executed by hanging. And it wasn't just Massachusetts. In Virginia, in the 1760s and 70s, more than 30 Baptist pastors were jailed for preaching the gospel, and many more Christians suffered violence and persecution. But it led to an outcry. And after the War of Independence, it was James Madison and Thomas Jefferson who secured a bill for religious liberty and guaranteed religious freedom on American soil with a clause in the First Amendment of the Constitution. And so for the past 350 years, churches and Christians all over America have been able to worship and preach the gospel with very little persecution. And religious dissidents have come to the United States from all over the world to make their home in the land of the free. And it's something that we as Christians should be very, very thankful for. But here's the thing. Is our religious liberty permanently secure? Might there come a time in America when we're denied the freedom to worship and preach God's word? When uh, persecution might rear its ugly head again? You know, there was a time in America when pastors were put in jail and when ordinary Christians suffered terribly for their faith. And we would be foolish to think that it couldn't happen again. In fact, the days of religious liberty might be passing more quickly than any of us could have imagined. Already there are those who view the faithful preaching of God's word as hate speech. And as Rod Dreyer quotes in his book, Live Not By Lies, there's just a single generation that stands between us and tyranny. But then hasn't the church in America been something of an anomaly in church history anyway? Didn't Jesus say to his followers that they would be hated in the world, that persecution would be normal for the true Christian? You know, we should be very thankful for the religious liberty this nation has enjoyed for so long, and we should certainly pray for it and do everything we can to protect it in accordance with the law and the way of Christ. But if persecution should increase, we shouldn't fear it. In fact, it may be that God has purposed it for our good and for the cause of the gospel. So with those difficult thoughts running through our minds, 
Let's now turn to Jesus to see what he has to say about this. This will be the last time we look at John 15 in this series of messages. Uh, if we take a kind of bird's eye view of the chapter, we see Jesus describes three relationships. There's uh, our relationship with him, where we're joined to him, and as his friends, we're called to abide in his love. Then there's our relationship uh, with one another, uh, where we're called to bear fruit as we love one another. And then finally, there's our relationship with the world, which is where the mood gets a bit more ominous. So let's just read from verse 18. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they persecuted me, says Jesus, they will persecute you also. But then if we go down to verse 26, we see that we've been sent some help. Because he says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away, says Jesus. So in John 15 here, we find two opposing communities. There's a community of love and there's a community of hate. And in the first half of John 15, Jesus describes this wonderful community of love where his disciples enjoy fellowship with him and with one another. But as we've just read, when we identify with Jesus, it puts us on a collision course with the world because we cannot belong to Christ and belong to this world. As Jesus said, we've been chosen out of the world, in the world, but not of it. And understand that when Jesus talks about the world there, he isn't talking about humanity, but rather uh, an organized system under Satan's power. As John says in his first letter, he says, we know that we are of God and that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. You know, we have to understand that behind any persecution that we may experience, there are principalities and powers of darkness who are in direct opposition to God and his rightful king, Jesus Christ. It's why if we experience hostility because of our faith, we shouldn't take it personally. We just belong to a different kingdom now. And Jesus is making this very clear so that we don't get blindsided when persecution comes. He's telling his disciples what to expect so that they don't fall away when they experience opposition. He's saying, you know, if you belong to me, you cannot have a foot in both worlds. It's kind of black and white, right? You're either on one side or the other. But understand that if you are abiding in me, then this is what it entails, right? This is what you can expect. This is normal Christianity. They persecuted me, so they will persecute you as well. And of course, there are many other scriptures that make this point as well. You know, Peter talks about the church being persecuted in his first letter. He said, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
Indeed, says Paul, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And for 2,000 years, that has been the experience of the majority of Christians from the early church in the book of Acts to the church of today, where more than 340 million Christians in over 60 nations face persecution every single day. In fact, it's been estimated that more Christians have been martyred in the past century than all of the previous centuries combined. You know, for the Christian, it really is strange not to be persecuted. It's an anomaly. Now, that doesn't mean we should go looking for it, right? Please don't think that, okay? Jesus isn't saying we should seek it out. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, even Jesus prayed that he might be spared the cup of suffering, right? No one should want to suffer. And yet to be a disciple of Jesus means taking up our cross and following him, which means we must be prepared to walk in his shoes. And that may well mean enduring the persecution, the hatred and the rejection that he endured. Understanding that if we share in his sufferings, then we will also certainly share in his resurrection. It's a sign that we belong to him. And just to be clear, you know, if we do find ourselves facing hostility, let's make sure that it's because of Jesus and not because we deserve it. As another great Baptist, uh, Alexander McLaren once said, uh, he said, many bring down a great deal of deserved hostility upon themselves and of discredit upon Christianity. And then they comfort themselves and say they are bearing the reproach of the cross. Not a bit of it, he said. Be you careful for this, that it is Christ in you that men turn from, and not you yourself. And sadly, you know, I fear there are many Christians today who fall in that category. But for all of us, the time may well come when we have to make a costly stand for the name of Jesus in this country. And it may not cost us our lives, but it may cost us our reputation. It may cost us our friends or family. It may cost us our jobs or it may cost us financially. Uh, you know, persecution wears many faces. It wasn't long ago that the NEA, uh, America's biggest teachers union, recommended that support for same-sex marriages be a requirement for receiving a teaching certificate. The culture we're living in today wants us to conform to its way of thinking, which is often in direct opposition to God's word, and so it brings us into conflict. Our culture prides itself on being tolerant and inclusive of different viewpoints that can be totally intolerant and even outraged when it comes to the Christian viewpoint, which is where we see the powers of darkness showing their hand. The fact is, you know, we may increasingly be forced to have to make a stand for what we believe. Right? If we're going to live godly lives and live in obedience to Christ's commands, then even if we are humble and respectful and loving to those around us, which we certainly should be, even then we may still be ridiculed and rejected for what we believe and accused of being self-righteous and judgmental. And we need to be prepared for that. And again, remember, it's not you, it's Jesus. And so like Jesus, we need to respond with humility, love, and forgiveness all right so if the cultural tide continues to change in america and if we find that this wonderful long season of religious liberty has come to an end then while that is certainly sobering we must not fear or be discouraged
Firstly, because Jesus told us it would be so in John 15. And secondly, because he may have purposed it to be so. Now, why would he do that, you ask? Why would he do that? The answer, I believe, that we find in the New Testament and uh, throughout church history is that Jesus is purifying and maturing his church to empower our witness and advance the spread of the gospel. Let me just unpack that a bit. Right, the Bible is clear that it's adversity that brings us into greater maturity. As Paul says in Romans 5, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You know, adversity is like the refiner's fire that purifies the gold. Peter says in his first letter that these trials are necessary because they test the genuineness of our faith, which is more precious than gold. It purifies and strengthens our faith, but it also burns away the dross, like those dead branches in the vine that get thrown on the fire. Right? So where there's nominal Christianity or a cultural Christianity, shallow Christianity, it will disappear when the pressure comes. Those who are just looking for a comfortable life, for an easy life, who want Christ or what he can do for them, you know, they will just end up conforming to the culture, whilst those who truly belong to Christ will just shine more brightly. The pressure from the world will just press them deeper into Christ. They'll be pruned and purified to be more like him as they find greater intimacy with him. It's not just Obadiah Holmes who in his suffering experienced God's presence as never before. That has been the consistent testimony of thousands of Christians throughout the ages. They came to know God and to experience his closeness and his power and his presence in a far deeper, far more profound way during persecution because they were suffering with Christ. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he turned away from the Christian upbringing uh, that he had to become an atheist and a Marxist in communist Russia. He was an officer in the Red Army. But he became increasingly critical of Stalin and was arrested for anti-Soviet propaganda and then spent many years in, in the notorious gulag prison camps where he was beaten and became very ill. But it was there that he turned to Christ and experienced his love. And he later wrote about his experience and made this rather shocking statement. He said, that is why I turn back to the years of my imprisonment and say sometimes to the astonishment of those about me, bless you prison. I nourish my soul there and I say without hesitation, bless you prison for having been in my life. If God in his sovereignty allows the Church of America to go through a time of testing, it will only be to refine his church so that what remains will be the true church, those who truly belong to Jesus and who will bear witness to him. Listen to Rod Dreher again in his book, Live Not By Lies. He said, the faith of martyrs and confessors like those who survive to bear witness is a far cry from the therapeutic religion of the middle-class suburbs, the sermonizing of politicized congregations of the left and right, and the health and wealth message of prosperity gospel churches. These and other feeble forms of the faith will be quickly burned away in the face of the slightest persecution. 
You know, persecution purifies the church as we are weaned from the comforts of this world and our affections are reoriented towards heaven. But it also has the effect of emboldening our witness as we become more and more aware of the reality of heaven. That's what happened to Obadiah Holmes. So rather than silencing the church and causing it to withdraw from the world, persecution has had the opposite effect of moving the church into the world to bear witness to the truth. That's what we see in the book of Acts. As the early Christians faced hostility, it made them bolder in proclaiming the gospel. It seems that arrest and advance went kind of hand in hand. And so wherever they experienced opposition, it caused the gospel to spread. And it's been that way throughout history right up to the present day. I'm sure you'll remember the bombing of two Coptic churches in Egypt on Palm Sunday four years ago. It killed nearly 50 people and injured more than 100 others. But rather than driving people away, just hours after the blast, St. Mark's Church in Cairo was packed. And the pastor, Father George, gave the terrorists a three-point sermon that went viral all over the world. It was entitled, A Message to Those Who Kill Us. His three points were simple. Thank you, we love you, and we're praying for you. Father George said thank you because the terrorists gave those who died the honour to die as Christ died and for shortening their journey to their heavenly home. He thanked them for allowing Christians to fulfil Christ's words when he said, I send you out as lambs among wolves. And also because the terrorists' actions made people mindful of their eternal destinies. And so the church was now overflowing with people who didn't normally attend. Thank you, he said. We're so grateful that you're helping fill up our churches. Then Father George said, we love you. Because even murderers and thieves love those who love them, but only followers of Jesus are taught to love our enemies. And Father George closed his message with, we're praying for you. Because he said, the one who taught us to love you also told us to pray for you. And so he called the church to pray for the terrorists that their hearts might be opened to the love of God. Because if they could just experience his love, he said, they would never, never do this. To quote uh, Alexander McLaren again, he said, the only way to overcome the world's hostility is by turning the world into a church. And that's how we respond to persecution. It's what Jesus was saying in John 15, that the world will hate us and persecute us because of him. But our response to the world is not to retaliate or resent what is happening to us, but rather to testify about him. The answer to the world's hatred is to testify about Jesus. And as we do so, in the face of hostility, it will cause some to see the truth because Jesus has not left us alone. As he said in John 15, he says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to respond to hostility with love and forgiveness. And as we do so and testify that it's because of Jesus, then it's the Holy Spirit who empowers our words and opens people's hearts to believe. And so that's why we don't have to fear persecution if it comes. 
It will only purify and strengthen the church and cause the gospel to spread like a wildfire that cannot be stamped out. You know, you try and put it out in one place, it just pops up somewhere else. That's what happened to Obadiah Holmes. He ended up pastoring a church in Newport, Rhode Island, where he faithfully and fruitfully preached the good news of Jesus for the next 30 years. One of his descendants was Abraham Lincoln. That's how the gospel has spread throughout history. It's how the gospel spread through the colonies in America in the early days, and it's how it will do so again. It's why at the end of this discourse, right, that we've been looking at here in John 15, Jesus said, he said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We don't have to fear because we know where all this is heading, don't we? We know the outcome. We know that the gospel will triumph. We know that God's kingdom will prevail and that Satan will be thrown down and that whatever we are called to suffer for Christ's sake is actually achieving for us an eternal glory that will one day totally and completely eclipse it all. So let's pray for liberty, but more importantly, Let's pray for the refining and revival of the church here in the West. Let's pray for the empowering of the Holy Spirit and that the witness of the persecuted church around the world will embolden us to testify about Jesus so that many, many might come to believe in him and so that haters might be turned into lovers and enemies into friends. Amen.